Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. Hello! This is the Relentables Podcast. I'm Jordan Holzer, proudly part of the Believe Podcast Network. And each episode will be covering 90s, 2000s, film, TV, and pop culture. I am not alone. Each episode I'll be having on special guests to help me relive my childhood. Thank you to Weedis for the intro music. This week, another amazing movie recap, folks. We are covering Heavyweights. One of the all-time children's classics featuring just... An amazing performance from Ben Stiller as Tony Perkis. We're going to get into all of that and more. Some programming for the upcoming weeks. Next week, we're going to be joined by the writer and director of Heavyweight, Stephen Brill. Stephen Brill has also written the entire Mighty Ducks franchise. He's currently showrunning the new Mighty Ducks TV series that's coming out for Disney+. He's written and directed so many movies, including some of my favorite Adam Sandler comedies like Mr. Deeds and most recently, Hubie Halloween. I can't wait for that. We're also going to be having on Aaron Schwartz, who plays Jerry, the star of Heavyweights. You would also know him from his role as Carp on The Mighty Ducks, an incredible actor, really had a tremendous glow up from when he was a kid. We're going to get into all of that and more on the podcast, so let's get right into one of my favorites. Heavyweights. Far from the everyday world, there is a place. A place where big. Congratulations, Mr. Sims. You are the fattest boy in camp. Is beautiful. Chipmunks, download! And thin isn't it. This is definitely not sanitary. For Jerry and his friends, it was a dream come true. Until the new owner. That is out of here, mister! Oh no. Turned it into a nightmare. Lunch has been canceled today due to lack of hustle. Now, after six weeks of frustration. Then we're gonna climb that 1,000 foot rock face over there. Starvation. There isn't a gummy bear left in this entire camp. And humiliation. Nice swing, you fat tubbo. Everyone having fun? Jerry's out to do something far more important than lose a few pounds. I have a plan. He's out to gain respect. What is going on? You can't kidnap the owner of a camp. Welcome to the annual Apache Relay. We're as good as anybody. And it's about time we started acting that way. Take him down, Cappy. Walt Disney Pictures presents a comedy for every kid. Tell me the artist and title, please. Uh, Cher? Da Vinci's Mona Lisa. Tired of taking it. I'm so slow. It would have been cool to go fast. And ready to dish it out. Heavyweights. The audio quality you're about to hear, listeners, is much better. And that's because our very own Believe Podcast Network supplied Big Al with his very own mic. Isn't that right? Yes. Yeah, shout out to the Believe Network for <laughs> providing me with this fantastic microphone quality to really just up 
the the listener enjoyment for this podcast. So big shout out to them. Um, and let's just get rolling. We're sponsored by uh, Yeti Microphones, right? Isn't that right? I don't know. Are we allowed to drop this ad in the middle? <laughs> uh, let's get right into it. Where, where do you think this uh, episode is going to come in at? Over under an hour and a half, Big Al. We've been going over. The, you made a mistake asking me to do this movie if you wanted to hit under an hour and a half. I, t- I talked to your dad and he's like, these are so fucking long. I'm like, well, you love them. You listen anyway. <laughs> That's true. So let's get right into it. The movie itself, Heavyweights, has a runtime of an hour and 37 minutes. So let's try not to go over that. Uh, directed by Stephen Brill and written by Stephen Brill and Judd Apatow. If that name sounds familiar, we're going to get to it. Um, Heavyweights has a 6.7 out of 10 on IMDb and a 29% from the critics on Rotten Tomatoes, but a 77% from the audience on Rotten Tomatoes. How do you judge that discrepancy there? Um, you know, it's a recurring theme on the on the podcast. Talk about critics reviewing children's movies, and they don't know what the fuck they're talking about. Yeah. Uh, but and with this movie specifically, they really don't know what the fuck they're talking about because this is a fantastic movie. Um, I mean, the audience got it right. Maybe the audience came in a little bit low, but the critics just got this way wrong. Oh yeah, I think this might be the highest Rotten Tomato score we've done for any movie we've ever covered. So that is definitely saying something for these kids' movies. It was released on February seventeenth. 1995 i believe both of us were only three years old when this movie came out so i don't think we saw it in theaters or even when it shortly came out on you know vhs we probably saw this years later as a rerun on disney channel or something like that it only made 17 and a half million dollars at the box office which i think is labeled it now as a cult classic this is my favorite children's movie wow and i don't even consider it to be a children's movie because uh, I watch it as an adult and I still love it. I, I think it's as funny as it ever was. Um, and the cast. I mean, oh we'll get God. into the cast. But the yeah. cast is incredible for, for a movie of this caliber. Like, we just did Mighty Ducks. This cast blows Mighty Ducks out of the water. So it's kind of amazing. I thought it was so weird. I forgot this was a Disney movie. Because I'm like, this does not seem like a Disney movie. And I think it's going back to your point of just like, this is an adult movie. Like, I know it features kids prominently, but you could watch this as an adult. It's very high bar humor, and to me anyway. It's very different than The Mighty Ducks. It's much more adult. Um, and I just have to say, I didn't pick this up until re-watching the movie yesterday. This is your movie. And the reason I say that is because, do you remember what the go-kart driver's name for Camp MVP is at the very end of the movie? What's his name? Is it Big Al? It's Big Al. It's Big Al. It's Big Al. It's Big Al. And that probably would have been me on the other side, Camp MVP. <laughs> so let's get right into our uh, random internet review of the week. This comes from Alex R. So it's not you, I don't think, because this is a very negative review of the movie. And this is what it says. It is long, uh, but indulge me on this one. This has got to be one of the worst ideas for a comedy that I've ever seen. This film should be a good comedy, but instead it just falls flat because to me, it seemed to use the fat stereotypes a bit too much to create its humor. Thus, the film really didn't work and the ending was very bad. This could have been a great film, but the script was too flawed, the acting was bad, and the directing was unfocused. I think this film had potential of being very funny, but more times than not, it fails to deliver laughter. Director Stephen Brill can't seem to direct a good film to save his life. And Heavyweights is just an awful mess that actually could have been avoided. If the script was better, the cast was good, and the director was more skilled, then maybe the film could have been better. There were just too many bad things going on on screen to make this one worthy of seeing. In the long run, this film is very forgetful. It is not worth seeing. There are too many areas where the comedy fails at making you laugh, and it's a film that simply doesn't work overall. 
I hated this film with a passion and is one of the worst films I had to watch. There are far better comedies out there than Heavyweights. This film just fails at giving you good entertainment. The film is bad because it uses stereotypes constantly in a form of humor that just isn't funny. Avoid heavyweights. This film is bad. The film is one poor comedy that simply isn't funny. Does this Alex have way too much time on his hands? I think he just repeated himself like 10 times. I have a message for Alex R. If you and I are walking down the street (laughs) and our paths are about to cross, you better turn the fuck around. (laughs) Reviewing my movie this way and disrespecting the names of the actors the directors and the writers of this movie. I- I'm curious, Jordan, do you know when this review was written? What year this review was written? I want to say within the last 10 years. Okay, within the last 10 years. This, for me, this is like people, they're so sensitive. They can't handle like, first of all, this movie was made in the 90s, right? Yep. We just talked about 95, a different day and age, you know, in this movie, I don't know. Like, yeah, okay, making fun of fat people, that's not the right thing to do. But it's a movie, all right? It's a comedy. Take it easy. You know, sit down on your couch, turn the film on, grab some food, grab a snack, some candy, a beverage, and just enjoy it for what it is. And stop trying to read into, like, these deeper meanings that don't exist there. You know, this isn't what the writer intended when he wrote the movie. Um, just take it for what it is and, and try to have some fun. I mean, this guy, Alex R., you have a stick up your ass. Take it out of your ass. <laughs> Quit writing reviews on my movies. This guy just seems like a failed screenwriter, failed director. I don't know what he he's is. Salty. He's salty. He's, he's, he's very jealous. salty. He's, he's very jealous. jealous. But I think this film was so inspirational in the sense that it really gave power to kids that were overweight. And, you know, I think a lot of people identified with that and they made them the heroes of the movie. And I don't know how much Hollywood was casting oversized plus size actors at this time. So I think honestly, like this got a lot of fresh faces in front of the camera that we just would not have seen otherwise. Absolutely. Absolutely. You're right. Um, Let's get right into it. How would you describe the plot of Heavyweights? All right. So we got my boy, Jerry. Movie star. Jerry Garner. Jerry Garner. Gerald, you know, his (laughs) his legal name. Uh, And it's that classic scene, the day that kids were looking forward to School is ending. The clock is ticking down. I think it's like 3 p.m. or something. Whenever kids get out of school, it's been a while for me. And everyone goes buck wild. You know? <laughs> yeah. so- summer is beginning. Papers, they're shredding textbooks. Things are flying through the air. People are making out. It- it's wild. It's it's everything you ever wanted to see about the uh, start. Buckle in. This is going to be a long review. <laughs> buckle in. <laughs> I have so much to say about this movie because I love it so much. And I-, I-, I really, truly feel that like, there are no low tier, low quality scenes in this movie. Everything is just jam packed with with comedy and entertainment and action the whole way through. But anyway, start of summer, Jerry's on his way home, gets back to home, and his dad, the classic like stern, bald headed, <laughs> '90s '80s mustache father, you know, has someone in the living room. Jerry's like, "What happened? Did somebody die?" <laughs> And long story short, you know, Jerry's kind of a fat kid and his parents are trying to send him off to fat camp to help him lose weight. And, you know, the story unfolds from there as far as what happens in fat camp. But that's the general synopsis. Yep. Yep. And I love that scene where Jerry's just like, there is no way I'm going to fat camp. And then it just cuts to him on the plane. Just classic. (laughs) Just classic. Uh, Let's get right into some of the most rewatchable scenes. And I don't really have scenes so much as just moments from this movie. And I want to start with the one with him on the plane and we get introduced to Roy. Of course, this is Keenan Thompson and Roy just comes up to him. He just goes, are you going to fat camp? He's like, 
How do you no. know? <laughs> yeah, he's like, why do you say, why do you say that? Say, he's like, because you're fat. He goes, is that your dad? No. no. Why would you say that? Because he's fat. Because he's fat too. <laughs> it's such a great introduction. And they immediately just hit it off. You could tell that these guys are going to become best friends right away. And this just plays right into their scene of, you know, the bus arriving and Pat coming out. He's like, well, new guy gets to drive the bus, hands the keys to Jerry. Jerry thinks he's driving the bus home. Keep it under 70. Oh, we got some weird scene. we got some weird local cops around <laughs> makes no sense because 70 you're speeding uh i mean what i really love about this movie is like this is why i hate alex r and his review of the movie is the script is so good the yeah. lines yeah. are written perfectly pat opens the door to the bus and he's like i'm looking for a couple portly adolescents <laughs> <laughs> and they all look back and like that's us <laughs> but the, the writing the one-liners are just yeah, incredible throughout the entire movie. Um, but it really sets the scene and, and you get our, our boy Pat coming in, who I know is your favorite character in this movie. He has to be. I love Pat. He really is a great guy. And I love when they're driving the bus home. He's like, should we stop for some fast food? Everyone just goes crazy. And then he swerves <laughs> and he's like, just kidding. And he swerves back on the road. That's a move that I would have pulled as the bus driver. That, that is definitely one of your moves. <laughs> uh, what about, this is a very brief moment, but when they are still on the bus, they're right about to enter Camp Hope. And we just see that guy outside with this stick and he's just shaking his head and it's that that's, ominous uh, music playing and Jerry's like, maybe this isn't all that it seems. <laughs> I, I think that's uh, Sims. Sims is his name, something yeah, like Sims. that. He's got that big stick and he's just turning it back and forth, shaking his head. He's one, of, he's one of the most underrated characters in the movie, but I think it's a little bit of foreshadowing there that like he's in this euphoria, you know, this happy moment, the bus ride, everyone's having fun. The giant camp hope sign as as they're going into the camp, and then the you know the music turns dark, and you see this monstrous fat kid out there, you know, for, forecasting the impending doom that's coming for the summer. And uh, it's, it, that's that's it. I, I love that scene. Oh that's yeah, good. I always wondered how he knew that the camp was going to be sold. Like, was he just shaking his head? Like, how did he know something bad was about to happen? You know, he's like the biggest kid there, one of the biggest kids there, and he just he's seeing things on another level, you know, another plane that other people just aren't getting. Um, he, he's a deep emotional character in my opinion. <laughs> the next scene I have is all the guys are in the, in the bunk. It's an amazing scene. We're kind of getting introduced to everyone. And of course, this is where we meet Sean Weiss's character, Josh, who's just a legend in this movie. And this scene is the one that when I look back on, when I watched it as a kid, it was the one that hit home most with me. And it's the download where they literally start pulling out all the candy, all the snack, a salami. Help me with the salami. It's amazing scene. <laughs> Chipmunks, download. <laughs> yeah. And then the music comes on. The music in this, the entire soundtrack of this movie is a home run hit. Oh, yeah. Oh, um, yeah. But yeah, you, you got Philip who uh, <laughs> all the candies like melted and destroyed yeah. all over his stomach. They'll and, just uh, like jump on him and start like, licking okay. his stomach. Get a taste of England. <laughs> uh, but yeah, Sam's got salamis. Uh, salami and Sam. Salami. And I'm sure we'll talk about him later on. And a very sad story. But that scene is iconic. Like, if you're right, if there's one scene that a kid remembers from that movie, yeah, it's definitely that one. But, but, but it's the setup, right? It's the setup oh, yeah. is like, hey, Josh, you know, don't tell anyone, but <laughs> I suck in a, some Oreos. Oreos. <laughs> Josh is like, Oh, Jerry, that was very sneaky of you. <laughs> Little does he know what they're about to do. Is this character better than Goldberg from Mighty Ducks? It's so good. Like, this character might be, 
this character might be better, honestly. Like, I think he's just such a cool guy that's just, he runs the show. He runs the show. And again, just going back to the candy, they got like briefcases that they're opening filled with different like pockets of candy, like it's a drug deal or something. It's just incredible, incredible scene. Um, the next one I have, which is really going further down, of course, we could talk about, you know, when we first introduced the Tony Perkis, where they sell the camp and that, you know, the video plays and we just hear the, you know, the music coming on and the lights going everywhere. Everyone's like, what the fuck's going on? And we see Tony Perkis. But I kind of want to go to where they overthrow him and the other counselors. And oh, you're see- skipping. I'm skipping. Because we got to move through this podcast. I know we're going to spend an hour on just the scenes alone here. Well, tell me what the producers said. What did they say? <laughs> They said, if you let that idiot Alex back on the show, you better fucking speed this up. <laughs> Especially after giving you a brand new microphone. Like, come on. Um, I know, you're right. <laughs> but I love when they, obviously, they, uh, you know, Tony falls into the hole on the hike and they literally set him up in some cabin or I guess a barn, it looks like. And they set up like an electrical fence around him. That was so cool as a kid. I love movies like that where the kids kind of overthrow the adults. There's a movie I clearly remember called House of Rest with Michael Hitchcock. And they kind of lock all the parents in the basement and the kids run the show. I don't know if you remember that movie, but this was very yeah. similar to that. And and to me, it's also very like uh, Home Alone-esque. 100%. You know? 100%. Like kids just making the best of like what they have around them to uh, sort of take control and overthrow the power of the adults that are, uh, you know, getting out of line. Yankee but doodles. How, how can you forget <laughs> my, my setup to this scene? How they get Tony Perkins into that hole. All right, what, what, what we'll, get oh, I'll, I'll, we'll get there. We'll get there. As long as we're going to get there. Oh, 100%. I love that. Um, and of course, this is tying Lars up to the tree. You know, Lars, bears love honey. And then they start walking away. They're lathering him up with the honey. And they just hear him <laughs> screaming. And they're like, oh, yeah, no bears in these woods, huh? And they run yeah. back to him. And what's there waiting for him? This little deer. <laughs> <laughs> I'm a vegetarian. <laughs> Don't hurt me, Mr. Deer. He's like, please help me. I have candy. Good boy, you've come to free me. Um, the next thing I have is parents weekend. And then the video that they cut together, I guess they pay off that bum <laughs> of a camera guy to give him this footage. And they they really like hype it up. They got him eating rats. Like Josh is like, oh yeah. God, he I've takes out the big this. knife. <laughs> oh, I'm, go- I'm gonna love this. <laughs> <laughs> Which clearly didn't happen. They just played it up for dramatic effect. Yeah. <laughs> and then the last one I had is just the final competition with camp MVP and that classic go-kart scene with Jerry at the end. Uh, did you have any other scenes that kind of, you know, stood out to you? You don't want to ask me that question. I know, I know. We're, really we're going to go over time. It's an obligatory question, but I'm really hoping you just say, let's move on. You're met. You're okay. I'll just, I'll control myself. I'll contain myself slightly here. The one scene you're missing is when they go wild. And they have that like cheat night where they oh order in God. all this fast food. You got buckets of fried chicken, pizzas, like six foot long, like hoagie sub sandwiches coming in. And everyone's going wild, throwing chocolate sauce, whipped cream all over their faces. Um, that scene for me is like, you know, you have the first scene where they download and they take all their candy out in the bunk. And then you have that scene where they just go insane. And as a kid, I wanted to be there in that scene with all that food, the candy, everything. Um, so for me, that's like, that's the one main one I think you're missing. That scene is incredible. As a kid, I always wanted that big hoagie, that like giant six foot hoagie was definitely, but it's it's such a scene where literally you just have the line of delivery men coming to this camp. It's a- uh... and, and Pat's up there on the hill watching <laughs> with Nurse Julie. And he's like, I should get down there. <laughs> he's like, is that Tim? <laughs> Tim's just going wild. 
she's like, no, stay. And then, okay, I'll get, I'll give one more scene and then I'll cut it off. I promise is, uh, the dance, I was, the dance, I knew you were the girls the dance. Camp and, and the guys at the fat camp. Um, and it, they, you know, they cut it to be so awkward. The, the dance floor is completely divided down the middle with the fat guys on one side, all the pretty girls from the girls camp on the other side, the counselors in the, are in the middle. You have Lars, his shirt's tucked in. <laughs> He's DJing with, with his boy. Who's the one who turned in the chipmunks and got all their candy caught. Uh, the music, all the songs that they play at the dance. Uh, I cannot speak highly enough about the soundtrack for this movie. Yep. Uh, and then, you know, your boy has to come in and save the day. Pat has to help him. They got to break down the tension, start dancing like idiots. Nurse Julie comes in. Everyone starts having a good time. And then who breaks it up? <laughs> old, old Tony himself comes in. He's Thanks got, for like, your efforts, ladies. He's got like he's got like a short sleeve button down <laughs> shirt on, like showing off his huge like arm muscles. His shirt's tucked in, and he's got like a utility belt, like he's like a police <laughs> officer or a security guard. And he's holding this giant combat like flashlight that he's like smacking in his hands, like, "All right, fun's <laughs> over, party's over. I know this has been hard for all of you guys." He looks to Pat, and he's like, "Put the fruit the fruit trays away. The insects will be out soon." <laughs> His his character, I don't think they could have cast anybody better to play Tony Perkis in this movie. Oh my god! And I'm, honestly, I'm not sure how they got Ben Stiller to do this. I bet you, if you asked him, like his entire filmography of everything he's ever done, he would probably be like, "Yeah, I have no idea why I did Heavyweights," <laughs> and that was like what he probably considers to be one of his worst movies, even though yeah. it's not. For me, it's one of his best movies. A hundred percent. And he's jacked in this movie. I forgot how jacked he is. Like, obviously, he's playing this kind of health nut fitness guru but he is jacked in the film but i just love that scene also there are even just like the little details where like uh even the punch has no sugar in it <laughs> like, like everything no, this, about this it sugar-free punch really bites <laughs> yeah. he, he comes back later when uh, pat and julie are talking and he just walks by and goes this bites <laughs> uh let's get right into what is age the best and i want to start with the uh the movie poster actually i don't know if you've uh seen the movie poster in a while but so you got the four kids holding up what looks like a hot dog of Ben Stiller. And it says on the top from the creator of the Mighty Ducks, obviously it's going to get a ton of attention. And at the bottom, it has a slogan right under the name of the movie that says, they never met a hot dog they didn't like until now. <laughs> I actually, I have, I have the VHS and I have the, the DVD as well, this movie, because I love it so much. Um, and yeah, I think the movie poster might be the same as the cover art for, for the VHS and the and DVD, but... They don't make things like that anymore. Nope. Man. I know we always go back to this like nostalgia. We grew up in the 90s, so we love it. It's our favorite time. But like nobody makes movies and movie posters like that anymore. And nope. nobody makes movies of this type anymore. 100%. I really wish they sort of brought back some of these types of films because I think kids today don't have this. I know this is a common theme we say on the show, but I think it's really true. The next one I had is The Last Day of School. I think it's aged brilliantly. I think every time there was a last day, it was sort of such an amazing thrill to kind of what the final bell rings and you're, you know you're out for summer. But my question is, I don't know whether to put this as what is age of the best, what is age of the worst. Do kids throw everything in the air? Do they just throw papers, start burning shit? Just literally, it's like the hallways are just covered in trash. Has that ever happened to you? In my experience, no. But I'm sure that happened at some point. You think? Maybe that maybe that was more of like an 80s, late 80s, early 90s type thing. Then when we got to school, they were like, don't you fucking throw anything. <laughs> like, I remember going to the trash can and throwing out notes or whatever I had that I knew I wasn't going to be using. But just yeah, throwing I definitely shit in think the hallway. People, I think people definitely threw a lot of stuff away, for sure. Um, 
and you know, everyone wants to get the fuck out of there. Everyone's booking it for the exit. Um, so I think that that part holds up for sure. Yeah. The next thing I had is, is just summer camp in general. They really make it out even going from the video where they show the parents, every, every camp in the country has one of those sort of advertising videos for the camp where they're showing the blob and the jet skis and all the cool shit. And it really attracts obviously young kids and their parents to send you away. I thought that aged perfectly. I thought the whole summer camp feel of camp hope was exactly on par there. I'm just curious, have you ever gone to a sleepaway camp as a young kid? So I never went to a sleepaway camp, uh, but in Florida, I mean, you live in Florida as well. Uh, I did go to a summer camp where it was like every day you got dropped off at like 7 a.m. And they would take us to like different things in Florida. Like we'd go to the movies, we'd go to like a roller skating rink, ice skating rink. Uh, boomers. Do you remember Boomers? Love Boomers. Love Boomers. Uh, yeah. Did you ever go to, do you ever go to Funscape in Florida? Funscape. Yep. Yep. Okay. Yeah, we can go to, but yep. they would take us to places like that and they would like give kids tokens and you were there for like whatever the day was, the eight to 10 hour day. Um, that was the closest thing I ever got to, but I never went to like a true sleepaway summer camp. So as a young kid, I definitely did those types of camps that you're talking about. I did like shout out American Heritage where I used to go, but I did go for one summer to sleepaway camp. It was my fourth grade into fifth grade summer, and it was the Camp Pinewood in Hendersonville, North Carolina, right in the Blue Ridge Mountains, and it was the camp from fucking hell. It really, really? was. So. I'm just going to go on a brief little rant here about my experience at summer camp, but it was worse. Maybe it was better than what the guys in the movie experienced. But for me, as a young kid, it was traumatizing. Even just, I think they portrayed that scene really well of Jerry being on the plane by himself. For so many kids, I was in fourth grade, riding the plane by yourself without your parents was traumatizing. Like literally, that's the first time you're away from home, riding a plane by yourself somewhere. I was like freaked out. You know, they have the escort come take you on the plane, take you off the plane, you know, bring you to the camp counselor. That experience still haunts me, but even more so. So like I said, I was fourth grade going into the fifth grade. They accidentally put me with the bunk of fifth graders going into sixth grade, which maybe doesn't seem like all that big of a deal, but that one year at that age is a huge difference. Like I was definitely so much younger, both size wise, maturity wise. They like, they picked on me. Like I was bullied throughout the entire summer. And I had a camp counselor who stole every one of the packages and letters like Ben Stiller's character did in the movie, stealing all the letters that I would write home. This counselor stole everything that I sent home. And my parents sent me like a CD player to camp. They sent me food. He stole all of it. I never knew. I think I I mentioned this in the last podcast, but like the one I went to in Florida was called Camp Renegade. And I, I think I told you that like, these counselors, they stole everything. They stole kids' yeah. Pokemon cards. I got my my Game Boy stolen. Like, is that a, I don't know. We'll have to hear from other people on like their camp experiences. But these little shit counselors, were they just stealing, uh, you know, kids' belongings? These guys were fucking degenerates. Because at the end of the summer, my parents were like, so what do you think of the CD player? We all, you know, all the packages. I'm like, what packages? I haven't gotten shit all summer. Turns out, Counselor Larry. Yeah, I'm shouting you out, Counselor Larry. I don't know your last name, but... Yeah, Larry, you're on that list with Alex R., all <laughs> yeah. right? If we see either of you. But it kind of ruined my summer. I was only there for four weeks. It was... There were some highs. I Like I said, I just got bullied a ton, had a terrible experience with the counselor. It definitely was not for me. I never went back. My sister continued to go. She went for years and years to Camp Starlight up in New Hampshire. But um, I really think it portrayed just the whole summer camp vibe really well. The next one I want to get into is the nicknames. And I love films with nicknames. I think this one did an excellent job. And just at that age, you know, Jerry's got those wings that he got from the pot, you know, from the stewardess on the plane. 
and they just call him Captain. Like that's just his nickname. All present and accounted for, Captain. <laughs> yeah, you got Salami Sam, you got Sims. Like there's so many great nicknames throughout this movie. And I think at that age, like it really portrayed just one thing that kids could latch onto and that becomes your thing for life. Yeah, absolutely. You know, um, we mentioned the dance scene. I just want to point out that one scene. I think this is so reminiscent of probably our own experiences going to middle school dances or, you know, kind of that age where you have all the girls on one side, all the boys on the other. No one is making the way across. And we just see that scene in this movie of the girl making her way to the boy side. Everyone's like, oh, my God, who's she looking at? Who's she looking they put, at? They put the spotlight on her yeah. to make her look like, and she's got that white gown on, make her look Her hair is blowing beautiful. in the wind. And she just comes up to them and she's like, where's the bathroom? And like, they just look so defeated. They all just point. <laughs> but I just thought that captured the tension of that moment so well. And I think that still goes on today at middle school dances. I mean, what, what, what about like, you know, on a similar note, age the best, uh, getting, getting nervous the first time you meet a pretty girl? Nurse Julie Definitely. comes up to Pat and she's like, hey, I'm going to be the new nurse here. Can you point me in the direction of the infirmary? And he just starts like mumbling, you know, big, big gulp. He's like, uh, 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 no. no. <laughs> she's like, okay, I guess I'll find it. And then Roy comes around the corner and he's like, Pat, you've worked here for 18 years and you don't know where the infirmary is? And he's like, I panicked. <laughs> Is that us? That's definitely us. Or that scene at the dance where, you know, he's like, you know, I feel so bad for these young men. You know, they still don't know how to talk to girls. And meanwhile, he can't even talk to Nurse Julie. She's like, we should dance. He's like, oh, um, I uh, sprained my, and then he just walks away. I thought that was just so well done. Uh, Let's get into, oh, do you have anything else before we get into what is Age of the Worst? No, let's go to Age of the Worst. So I have to bring this up, which is just fat camp in general, right? I don't know if this was a thing. I don't know if it's still a thing. Obviously, they don't call it fat camp necessarily. But do you think this has aged well? Um, I, I think it can be traumatic for children who are overweight, you know, who probably are experiencing some sort of bullying in school or even with their own friends, you know, like not to point out us, but, you know, we called Chubbs Chubbs. Yeah. Oh, spade a spade, but, um, you know, <laughs> so to have, to have that in your daily life, that sort of ridicule, tormenting, bullying, um, and then to, you know, the one people or the group, you know, the people you think you can depend on the most, your parents, your family, your support system are also kind of like, Hey, you're fat. We got to send you off to this fat camp, you know, weight loss, um, can be that much more traumatic. Right. Yeah. And it's just kind of like compounding on, on kids of a young age that don't really have a grasp of like, these big types of concepts of, you know, being healthy, right? Like this hasn't been ingrained in children of that age. So I think it can be pretty detrimental, but at the same point, like health is extremely important for people. And so I I can see the need for something of this nature. Yeah. You know, I don't want to get into a whole nature versus nurture debate. And obviously, you know, I think to some extent, obesity is genetic, but I also think it has a lot to do with your parents, right? At that age, it's really what your parents are feeding you, what they're yeah, doing, what type of exercise. It's not all on Jerry, right? It's not Jerry's fault that he's this size. You know, it's definitely contributed from his parents, you know, from genetics. It's it's really not someone to blame for. Your, your boy playing Jerry's dad, Maury Garner. <laughs> uh, is it Jeffrey Tambor? Yep, Jeffrey Tambor. Is there a better actor for, uh, for, for this role? He's so good in this role. I love the punch he's, that he's, he delivers to Ben Stiller at the end. He's, he's got the classic dad look, though. I really yeah. feel that way. Like, they, they hit the nail on the head with him. He looks but, so much uh, like Dr. Phil. But he's, yes, he does. And he he's a big dude. And I love when Jerry's like, you're fatter than I am. Why don't you go? <laughs> 
But I, I love how this movie kind of like turned it on its head where we get introduced to, you know, the camp counselor, Tim, who's super skinny, is wearing like the cutoff blue jeans, but they make fun of him for being skinny. Like it really turned it around like in a summer camp filled with overweight kids. The skinny guy is the one that stands out and gets ridiculed. Sure. I mean, it's just, you know, it's it's the minority, the person that's different. Yep. Um, you know, bullying could exist anywhere, depending on the environment that you're in and, and the group of people that you're around. Uh, so we, I, we talked about, you know, stealing the letters that, you know, obviously Tony does for these poor kids trying to tell, you know, their parents that they're having this miserable experience. I can relate. That is just terrible. Uh, Alex, is it possible to do a sit up if you can't see your hair? You know, this is a common myth. <laughs> you know, dear old Uncle Tony is, is happy to disprove this one. <laughs> There are a lot of myths about the abdominal muscles. Yeah, about the abdominal <laughs> muscles. Uh, is that a – is Josh, like – is does he steal the show in this? I know we're going to get to, like, our favorite characters and stuff, but, like – is he perfect in this in this role? This is what this, this is why I say Sean Weiss, going back to the Mighty Ducks podcast, he should have had the longest acting career. Like he is just so charismatic and just he pops off the screen. You can't help but notice him and want more of him when he's on the screen. And that that scene, I don't know if this line though has eight like to me, this seemed like a lazy line. Like, there's no other way to get Tony blindfolded than to come up with this. I just feel like Tony yeah, wouldn't abide but, it. Like, he wouldn't abide you it. You know, he, he, he gets blindfolded because he wants to show off. He can do sit-ups and stuff. <laughs> and then Josh, you know, stands over him and pulls the shorts down and his, his ass is just hanging out. And I love when Tony comes up for the sit-up. He, he, he just goes, oh, dear Lord. <laughs> and he just... He hits them right in the back of the knees, you know, that kind of makes you like collapse. I don't, I don't know. It's, it's a reflex or some, of some sort, some tendon back there. Um, and then, you know, the chase scene ensues and he pulls up like his hamstring is pulled. He pulled a muscle and Tony, you know, this health guru, fitness expert is like, you just joined the whatever percent of Americans who forget to stretch before physical activity. <laughs> and then bam, he falls right into the trap. Um, I don't know. Is it a lazy scene or is it genius? It might be genius. genius. It might be genius. And I love how Tony's move is always like the two hands, just like flat. The double karate chop. Double karate chop. He does the same move on Jerry's dad after Jerry punches him. He just goes up to his back and hits him with the with the karate chop. I, I think like every character in this movie has its own unique purpose. And each one of them is just written to perfection, yep. in my opinion. Like there, there is no wasted character here. Um, from Lars to Nurse Julie to Pat, uh, you have Tony, you have all the kids playing their own unique roles and they, they all just hit it. Like, I love every scene where each one of them is showcased in a different way. Yep. And Josh has maybe the most of those scenes that I love. Uh, but even the the guy who's in the cafeteria lunch line is like smoking a cigarette after Josh dis- disappears from the camp. And he's like, sorry about your friend, Josh, as he like takes a drag of his cigarette. And then they cut to a couple scenes where like more rumors are compounding and they come back to him. And he's like, oh, yeah, he's dead. <laughs> Do you know who that is, Big Al? I don't know who that is. So who is in an uncredited role, I'm glad you brought that up because I'll just bring it up now. In an uncredited role, the chef at the camp smoking the cigarette who says Josh died he has that really short scene right there. That is Pete Berg. And if you don't know who Pete Berg is, he's one of the biggest directors in Hollywood. He directed Lone Survivor. Uh, what else? Oh, wow. Deepwater Horizon. Uh, what was the Boston Marathon bombing movie? He's done oh, all- so he's just he's just following around uh, Mark Wahlberg. <laughs> exactly. He, exactly. He's done all those movies. He did Hancock. 
He's like one of the biggest directors in Hollywood, and he just had a very small part as an actor in this movie. The scene is it's so brilliant. good. It's brilliant. I don't know how they got him for this. He's leaned over the counter. Oh, oh yeah, he's dead. <laughs> yeah, he's dead. <laughs> just smoking a cigarette. <laughs> uh, let's get into which actor or actress would you have thought would have made it big? And I'm just going to include the three main guys that we have here. That's Aaron Schwartz, who plays Jerry Garner. And I just found out last night that Aaron Schwartz is going to come on the podcast. I reached out to his manager and his manager is going to set something up. So Aaron Schwartz, one of the stars of the Mighty Ducks and heavyweights coming on the pod. He had a major glow up, by the way. If you look at him now, he looks nothing like the old Jerry in this movie. Oh, he's he's Jack. He's, he's Jack. I, I, I looked him up when you look because everyone loves to do the the where are they now type thing where you see people, you know, whatever it is, 20, 25 years later. Um Huge turnaround for him. You oh, wouldn't yeah. even recognize him. Looks great. What an amazing pickup for the podcast, though. Incredible. I, I cannot wait to listen to that. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Uh, Keenan Thompson, who plays Roy Murphy. And then Sean Weiss, our boy, who plays Josh Birnbaum. And the Birnbaum comes from one of the producers on the movie, Roger Birnbaum. So they took that name from one of the producers, actually. Fun fact. Uh, which one of these three? This is a tough one. Would you have thought would have had the biggest acting career after uh, watching Heavyweights? I don't know. Do we always put Keenan Thompson in there because we know what he became? He's definitely the most successful out of the three, 100. At the it's but tough as to, a kid, yeah. as a kid watching this the first time, I don't know that I would have been like. I mean, I loved his character, right? Uh, but I don't know that I could have predicted the future here. It's it, as a kid, maybe you always lean towards like the main character. Yeah. Um, so maybe I would have said Jerry back then. But now, you know, I know what I know now. Yeah, I don't know. I, I probably would have said Josh, you know, Sean Weiss again here. But, you know, I think you're right. As or or kid, Josh. Yeah, yeah. I mean, honestly, I wouldn't have thought Keenan. And it's kind of not surprising because he was great in this movie as Roy. Very charismatic. But I think I would have thought Sean Weiss or, or Aaron Schwartz would have had he, the bigger He career. is. I, I, have to, I, I have to say and recite all my favorite scenes. <laughs> when, when Josh disappears and then they, or they wake up on the first day of camp and there's all these, like the sun is out, the lights are so bright, and there's this music playing over the, the speakers. And he's like, oh no, I'm dead, I'm in heaven. <laughs> and Tony Perkins comes over and he's like, you're all going to be skinny winners. And he's like, we're going to have skinny wieners? <laughs> I mean, his lines are amazing too. I, I love, I love him in this movie. I really do. <laughs> I love what Tony Perkins is like. Who's responsible for this? He's like uh, uh, Seymour Butts. He's like Seymour Butts. Which one of you is Seymour Butts? No one is Seymour Butts than you, Uncle Tony. <laughs> <laughs> they all start cracking up, and then Josh is. He's like, you picked the wrong man to mess with. <laughs> Josh's like, I didn't know I was messing with a man. <laughs> Oh and then he God. says to him, and I, I never caught this as a kid. There's a lot of things, lines in this movie as a kid that just went over my head. And he's like, oh, a comedian. Maybe I'll book you on a tour. Yeah. It just never hit me as a kid that like, you know, bands go on tour, comedians go on tour. I never really knew what he was talking about there when he said that as a kid. Yeah. And then, you know, when I watched that back as an adult, I'm like, oh, that's what he meant. Let's get into what was the most Disney moment here? What were we supposed to learn from heavyweights, do you think? Um, I, I think it's about most Disney moment is after they have that like absolute degenerate loss eating of spray. control. <laughs> yeah. yeah, binge eating frenzy of all the worst <laughs> foods in the world. And they wake up and Pat, he's got his shirt tucked in. He's dressed up professionally. His hair is like gelled and combed over. He's looking, looking great. <laughs> and, uh, you know, he says, 
it's time that we take charge of our own lives and start making healthy decisions for ourselves because we want to, not because other people are, you know, forcing us or telling us we have to. Like we need to be the ones that are making these decisions to better our futures. I think for me, that was the most Disney moment is, is kind of like that, that self-empowerment and, you know, you got to be responsible for the choices you make and the actions you take. And Pat sort of instills that in them. It's like, Hey, we can't keep doing this. We can't keep going down this path. We know we're overweight. We know we're doing and making unhealthy decisions. So like, let's turn this around for ourselves. So for me, that was the most Disney moment. I would have to agree. You know, I think we could always go back to just the central themes of a family and, you know, building relationships. And especially when you're kind of away from your family in a summer camp situation where you're forced to kind of pick up counselors as kind of your pseudo parents and these bunk mates as sort of, you know, your friends and siblings in a sense. And, but I would have to agree with you. I think that scene is, is very poignant. And I love the scene at the end, just showing you, even though, I don't know in real life could camp MVP have lost the camp hope. Maybe, maybe not, but in a go-kart scenario in the go-kart scenario. Sure. And you, and you have the, like, uh, I don't know what you would call the trivia type, like intellectual question section. Share. Which one of our friends is that? <laughs> no, but the shaving the balloon. Oh my and, God. You know, they foreshadow that in the scene where he's like, Josh, you, you shaved? how long <laughs> have you been doing this? He's like, oh, a couple of years now. He's got a complete baby face, no hair on it. Uh, but, you know, it becomes important later on. I just love a, a classic uh, underdog story, right? Underdog story. It's same in the Mighty Ducks. Tale as old as time, right? People love to see that. 100%. Like to see, you know, the losers come back and win. Uh, let's get into our coolest parent award. Obviously, we don't see a ton of parents throughout the film, but which parent would you have wanted growing up? Of course, we have uh, Jeffrey Tambor, who plays Maury Gardner, uh, his wife, uh, Nancy Ringham, who plays Mrs. Gardner. And then we have, you know, uh, Jerry Stiller. So these are Ben Stiller's real life parents who play the owners of Camp Hope, yep. who, of course, sell to Tony Perkins. We have Jerry Stiller, who plays Harvey Bushkin, and his wife, and Mira, who plays Alice Bush, uh, Bushkin. Which one of these would you have wanted? Feel free to throw in anyone else from the movie. I mean, it's not fair to say, but like, because Pat's not actually like a father, but yeah. he plays a father figure, right? He's the adult. Uh, He'd be an awesome dad. He'd be an awesome like, dad to have. You you want Pat. Pat's yeah. the guy you want. You look at Jeffrey Tambor when, they, when he comes in for Parents Day and he looks at, uh, he looks at Jerry and he's like, Oh, you look the same. And Jerry's <laughs> like, but I feel great. And then Jerry kind of like walks off because he's going to take him around the camp and he looks back to his wife and he's like, he hasn't lost a pound. <laughs> I mean, it, this is, we talk about it every single podcast, every movie I've come on to do without fail, Disney paints the dad to be an asshole. It's true. It's I don't true. know why they do this. I, maybe that's just the way dads were back then. I don't know, but you definitely don't want him. He stands up for his son in the end when he, he tries to, you know, gives the punch to it, Ben Stiller, you know, tries to take Ben Stiller down and, you know, it gives some inspiring <laughs> words. It's like sometimes in life, you got to take a stand. <laughs> and <then it> just <laughs> gets Double karate chopped, of course. We should have seen this coming. Um, so he has sort of like a redemption moment there where he's standing up for the kids and his family. But uh, I don't know. I just want to pick Pat. And it's not fair to pick Pat because he's not really a parental figure here. So what about, you, uh, want the, you want the Bushkins. You want the Bushkins. You want the Bushkins. What about uh, Tony Perkis Sr., who of course is also played by Ben Stiller. He's, he's also Ben Stiller, my favorite <laughs> He's like, uh, uh, call me Papa. Uh, and me uh, do we have anyone here who wants to uh, run the camp? You know, so you can pick Tony Perkis Sr. there. He's the lighting fixture king. Uh, 18 years? 18 <laughs> years, Jesus. What have you been doing with your life? 
uh, Papa. I mean, I love Papa. You're calling me Papa. <laughs> got to be the Bushkins, right? Definitely. You don't get to see them for that long, but you can tell how much love they have for the kids in the camp. And uh, I know the one piece of advice you took away from this movie of anything is never let anyone sign your checks. <laughs> I have to file for chapter nine bankruptcy, which I have, to, I always have to look up. Cause I'm like, what is chapter nine bankruptcy? And it like applies to municipalities. So I don't know if they factually got this correct here. Or not. That was one of my nitpicks. Yeah. Chapter nine bankruptcy is uh, definitely not, not applicable thing, really. for uh, for summer camp. Uh, but as we just talked about nitpicks, let's get right into some of our nitpicks. I want to start with the salesman for sleepaway camp, who is played by Tim Blake Nelson, who is a very prominent actor. He has just that one scene where he's in, uh, you know, Jerry's house, pitching the camp, showing the parents the video. Was this something like that traveling salesman for sleepaway camp just went like door to door? Was this, a, was this a thing? I think this was probably a thing. We just didn't know about it. Fair enough. It just seemed very out of place that I could see some like just salesman in a suit going door to door saying, Oh, do you have a chubby son or daughter? Like, let me uh, let me see if we can get him to sleepaway camp. I don't know necessarily that he was going door to door, or maybe they asked him to come, like, provide their presentation for the camp because the parents knew that they wanted to send him off somewhere to help with his weight loss. Uh, I guess goals that they had for him, but um, I'm sure this probably existed. I mean, door to door is basically gone now. Yeah, but through the '80s, '90s, maybe early 2000s, I think it was definitely a lot more prominent. Oh yeah, oh yeah. Uh, this is a very like specific nitpick, but in the final showdown between Camp MVP and uh, Camp Hope, you know, we see the jock kind of making his way through, especially through the Hall of Intelligence. And, you know, he definitely is not answering those questions correctly. There is no way he made it out of the Hall of Intelligence where he's answering share for every single thing. Oh, who can you name uh, five of the, uh, you know, I don't even know what he said, vice presidents of the United States. He's, and he starts naming a couple. He's like, share? Oh, then what painting is this? It's clearly the Mona Lisa. He's just like, share? Like, there's no way he got out. <laughs> yeah, there's definitely. I mean, he maybe if he cheated, right? I think, like, the part about the race, the Apache relay, your favorite <laughs> relay of all time, is that there's some shenanigans going down here. You know, not everything is above board with this competition because Camp MVP needs to win at all costs. Um, so he's probably being fed some answers there, but realistically, would he make it through on his own? Absolutely not. Definitely not. Uh, that's all I had. You know, you could find little nitpicks here and there, but otherwise like this script was airtight. I felt like, did you have any other, it is, it is airtight. It's not a nitpick, but it's, it's just my, my favorite thing about these movies is the humor that they put in for adults. Like when Tony Perkins comes on and he's like, Today's uh, lecture will be liposuction, option or obsession. <laughs> it's like, what kid watching that back then un- knew or understood what liposuction was? Nobody, right? nobody, yeah. Uh, and there's a scene where, you know, they put him in the cage and they wire it up. It's like an electric fence that he's stuck behind. And they come out and Pat and Julie and what's what's the, Tim? Tim, Tim are, they're talking and he's like, they give people the chair for this kind of thing. And as a kid, I, I never understood they were talking about the electric chair because it's like, I don't know, not yeah. something a kid is going to understand the death penalty uh, for kidnapping, right? But like they put a lot of humor in there for adults that will fly over the heads of kids. So it's not really a nitpick, but I, I do love to see that stuff. 100%. Let's get right into my favorite part of this episode, which is going to be best quote. And there are just some incredible quotes here. And I'm not even going to do them justice, but I'm going to try. Obviously, a tonner from Tony Perkins, Ben Stiller. One of my favorites is, you know, over the intercom, he's just like, attention campers, attention campers. Lunch has been canceled due to lack of hustle. Deal with Deal it. With it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 
that that is one of the best lines for sure of the movie. And this is another one uh, from uh, Tony <laughs> when, he, when he's going on the on the twenty mile hike with the campers, and he's like, "Okay, first we're gonna take an hour meditation break, then we're gonna climb that thousand foot rock face over there with our bare hands and feet. I know you can do it. I, I know you can you, do it. But for now, <laughs> observe the silence of the chi. Just an amazing line." Yeah. That thousand foot rock face over there. <laughs> I know you guys can. That's the best part of the line for me. I know you guys can <laughs> These do These kids it. are just looking at him like he's fucking crazy. Oh, man. You could go turn Tony Perkins quotes <laughs> for hours. Literally, we will go over time with this. He's telling the story of Icarus climbing up the hill. <laughs> You're all Icarus. <laughs> His... I, I truly feel like this is Ben Stiller's best character he's ever played. And... Who, but whoever is responsible for writing the lines that he has in this movie, I can't handle it. Like oh my when God. I watch it, I'm just, I'm dying laughing at these scenes. It's, it's too much. Such a little line that cracked me up literally in tears was when Tony is in the door, Tony's in the cabin, they're searching for food. He just pulls out a salami. He's like, Oh look, a deli meat. Like, yeah, just, <laughs> a deli meat. <laughs> yeah, exactly. You the do, inflection you, in his voice and everything is. You do a great impression of him. Uh, what else did I have here? Uh, Pat, when of course this is now after the you know the eating frenzy, he goes, "Who wants to tell us what we learned here?" And then Roy just goes, "Don't put Twinkies on your pizza." <laughs> <laughs> Classic line. What uh, one of the best of the whole movie. Roy is the king of the one-liners there. Uh, um, what else? I got Roy saying, you know, this is very early on to Josh. Roy goes, "I just saw the new nurse and she's very attractive." And Josh just goes. This pleases me. This pleases me. He's meant to be like the the figure that everyone is looking to for all the answers. You know, all the kids look up to him. And it's lines like that, like, you know, he's coming in reporting into Josh, you know, as kind of the head of the chipmunks. So I love that. I love that scene. I, I love all the lines in this movie, dude. Don't get me started. When uh, he's weighing everyone for the check-in before they go on this crazy hike. And he's like, Joshua Birnbaum, step on the scale. And he gets on, he's like, step off the scale. <laughs> Even just like the ones that are so short uh, are so impactful in this movie. Oh, yeah. Do you have a favorite or is it too tough? It's incredibly difficult for me. It's incredible. When when Tim is showing off his his tight butt, his glutes, as he calls it, and he's doing that dance and Nurse Julie walks by and he's saying like, you know, look at this, the pride of the game. He's like, oh, and right up there is the bald eagle. <laughs> <laughs> Trying to play it off like he wasn't showing off his ass. I mean, there's just there's too many. There's, there's way too many. When uh, Nicholas is watching him guarding uh, Tony in the cage, and he he tricks him with that Hershey kiss. Oh my kiss. god, the Hershey's kiss! And he 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 pulls him in, gets him in that chokehold, and he's like, "Looks like London Bridge is falling down again." <laughs> it is Genius writing, a, and that's that's why when I meet Alex R in his review in real life, I'm I'm gonna have to beat the shit out of him. There's there's no other way because he disrespected this incredible movie. Yeah. Uh, let's move on to some uh, unanswerable questions here. I want to start with, do fat camps exist today, do you think? Or I guess we should call them exercise camps. I don't know what the right word is, but do you think they exist today to some extent? Yes. Yes, definitely. And they exist disguised behind things you you know, you know wouldn't intend. Like it, it's still very much ingrained in our society. You had the, the TV show, The Biggest Loser, yep. right? Which is just a, a glorified weight loss camp for adults right yeah. rather than kids um and it's being you know shown on network television right so like uh you have 
all kinds of like weight loss people doing different YouTube shows, Twitch streams, things are fed into your house for exercise. Like it, it's all there, maybe not in the traditional sense of the summer camp out in, out in the woods on the lake. Right. But like it exists in other forms today. That's, that's how I feel about that question. So I was kind of confused though. So this is a fat camp, right? When he first goes there to camp hope, but what type of programming do they have for the kids to lose weight? Like, okay, they have jet skis, they got, you know, dirt bikes, whatever it is, they got the blob, but then seem like even before Ben Stiller got there, or even after he left that they were going to do anything in terms of programming to get these kids to lose weight. I think the idea of the original camp hope was to get the kids just more active and moving around in this sort of like, you know, you're in an outdoor landscape, right? Like you got to get up off your ass, you know, away from the TV that you have at home. Yeah. Get out to the blob. And when you're jumping off the blob, you got to swim back to shore. Like you're doing physical activity in a way that was meant to be fun for kids. But the reason it wasn't working is because they were cheating, right? Like they were bringing in the candy and the snacks. Download. Right. Um, I think the way that fat camp originally was set up was done well, right? And out of like being respectful to the kids. And then, you know, you have the polar opposite extreme when Tony Perkis comes in with the Perkis system, yep. which I know you're going to go buy that shirt. Oh online. my God. I already looked it up. I already fucking looked Be- it up because, because they sell them. I definitely um, want one. I got to buy you one, especially when uh, we get Steve Brill and, and Aaron Schwartz on the podcast. I definitely want to rock that when I'm uh, doing the interview with them. I got to go back though. I'm sorry. I forgot one Tony Perkis quote. It's when he gets up there and he's like, age 11, I was 318 pounds. <laughs> I had bad skin, low self-esteem, and no self-respect. And now I eat success for breakfast with skim milk. One of my favorite lines. And then when he he does his famous like giant sideways step and a huge clap, and he's like, and fat is out of here. And then he runs down the aisle looking for the double high fives from all the kids. And no one does it except the one kid on the end. And the music's playing. And then you hear this one kid, my favorite line of the whole movie in the crowd. And he goes, I want to go home. (laughs) Just like in the faint, in the background, this kid is just so terrified by what Tony Perkins had presented. Oh my God. Uh, So sorry. Those are my last two on the quotes. Uh, What else do I have here? Was it kind of fucked up what they did? to Tony Perkis, Lars, the camp counselors, tying them up, putting them in a cage. Did that go a little too far? Is Lars your second favorite character in this movie? After I Tony love Perkis? Lars. He is so incredible in this film. And I love when, they, uh, when they're having that crazy frenzy and the two kids come up to him with like a knife and they're like, Lars, buddy, <laughs> pal, friend. You know, you know what we found out? <laughs> if you don't have a job, another thing that went over my head as a kid, you get deported. <laughs> it's like, so are you with us or against us? I'm with you. <laughs> then, he, then he goes, crazy. I love you. <laughs> and then he, he's in that scene where they're going crazy eating and he's trying to do his, his best Lars rendition of letting, letting loose. You oh, know? I forgot about when they first introduce him. He's like, I have a very large deviated septum. <laughs> don't be alarmed. It makes a very <laughs> scary sound. He's like, don't be alarmed. I am fine. <laughs> Lars, what kind of name is that? Where are you from? far away (laughs) he's such a menacing like mysterious and of course again i have to say it again eastern european guy they have to bring lars in to be the angry character oh yeah nurse julie been having a problem with my sciatic nerve (laughs) maybe you can pencil me in for a deep tissue massage (laughs) oh yes i'll get right into pencil you in for that Um... lars (laughs) you're obviously a very powerful man (laughs) 
Yes, but with much difficulty. I love <laughs> Lars. They're a fucking good character, dude. Uh, this is a great unanswerable question. Was this a prequel for Ben Stiller's character for Dodgeball as White Goodman? Is there, there seems to be, like, maybe seems that White Goodman's inspiration in that movie was definitely taken from Tony Perkis. What do you think? He plays this type of role extremely well. Obviously, I'm assuming this is probably one of the first times he did it. Dodgeball was much later down the line and another incredible movie. But, um, I mean, even when he's, when he's the guy, the guy in charge of the nursing home and happy Gilmore and happy Gilmore, like he, he plays this role very just so fucking well. Oh, hundred uh, percent. He's, he's very good at it. He's a, he's a comedic genius, but inspiration drawn from this. Definitely. Yeah. Definitely. I mean, you, you see so many, like, even like the hair is, <laughs> yeah, he, he plays a wild type character just so well. Yeah. We see a lot of similarities between these characters. Obviously the health craze, he was 300 pounds. Yep. Now he's skinny. He's so focused on exercise. Like there definitely was some parallels. Um, I have a quick question. Did you recognize that you stay till after the credits for the after credit scene? I have heard the song that plays during the credits, which I love. But what is, what is the after credit scene? So the after credit scene is just Tony Perkis. We see him again. He's at the door of a home. He's a door-to-door salesman now, and he's selling crystals. So he opens up a briefcase. There's a bunch of crystals. He's trying to sell these healing crystals. And the door just slams in his face and the movie ends. So really? I want to ask, as the unanswerable question here, did this start the trend of after credit scenes that we see so prevalently in Marvel movies and Star Wars and everything? Did this start with heavyweights? I'm not exaggerating. I've probably seen this movie over 100 times. And I've never watched all the way through the credits. I didn't even know this existed. Really? So I, I got to go back for view number 101 of this movie now and, and stay through the end to see that. But it probably had to be one of the early adopters of after credit scenes. I would think so. Yeah. I'm not I'm not going to go out on a limb and say that Mar- Marvel took this inspiration <laughs> from Heavyweights. But... but they're both Disney movies, right? Marvel owned by Disney, Heavyweights Disney. Yeah, sure, sure. You never know. You could you could make this leap. Yeah. Uh, let's get into some... Uh, oh, go ahead. What were you going to say? No, I was going to say, I won't make that leap, but you can make that leap. <laughs> uh, let's get into some uh, half-assed internet research here. And Heavyweights was filmed over the course of two months in North Carolina at two separate camps, real camps, Camp Pinnacle and Camp Tunawanda. Love that name, Camp Tunawanda. Um, of course, we mentioned that Ben Stiller played both the parts of Tony Perkis and his father's, and the Bushkins were played by his actual parents, which is kind of cool. And this is a very interesting one. As part of his first date with his eventual wife, Judd Apatow, one of the co-writers on the movie, tried to impress his soon-to-be wife, Leslie Mann, with showing her this film. I think that's a great way to find your future wife is saying, look at this film that I wrote. It's amazing. And of course it worked out well because she married him. I mean, I given my love for this film, if I was her, I would have married him. Yeah. (laughs) If you're going to showcase, like this is the magnum opus of whatever he's ever written for me uh, because I love it so much. But yeah, I mean, why not show off your greatest work? Yeah, to, to a, a, a you know a girl, or if you're a girl, a guy that you're trying to woo, trying to win over. This one, I'm going to have to ask Steve Brill, the director and writer of the film. Apparently, Sean Weiss, who plays Josh, was not interested in being in this film at all. But he changed his mind when Steve Brill told him that if he didn't act in Heavyweights, he would not be in the sequel to The Mighty Ducks. Wow. Is that a threat? <laughs> I definitely have to ask Steve Brill if this is true or not, because honestly, like what a genius move 
to kind of coerce somebody into acting in this, but it so ended to, up to coerce a child. Are we condoning that on this podcast? No, but I he's so good. It's, it's a good move. It's a strong this. move. I think it, it, you know, the, the thing just when you hear it, it out loud is kind of maybe taken out of context. I would imagine if this went down in any sort of way, it's because Steve Brill knew this kid was such a good actor and could play this role so well that he just had to have him. Yeah. Like he, he wanted him, you know, who else were you going to get for that role? It had to be Sean Weiss. It had to be him. I can't see anyone else in it. So on the Blu-ray commentary for this movie, Judd Apatow states that he once ran into Paul Thomas Anderson. If you don't know who Paul Thomas Anderson is, he's kind of known as maybe the best director working in Hollywood right now. He directed films like There Will Be Blood, uh, Phantom Thread most recently, Boogie Nights. He's kind of an acclaimed director. And he told Judd Apatow that Heavyweights is his favorite movie of all time. That's what I'm saying. It's, it's my favorite movie of all time. If it's good enough for Paul Thomas Anderson, it's good enough for us. That's all I have to say. We talked about the cameo from Pete Berg, who played the cook. And then this is a great one. The camera guy, Kenny. I don't know if you recognize Kenny at all, but he's been in every single one of Adam Sandler's movies. Him and Adam Sandler were classmates at NYU. And the real guy is named Alan Covert. And he's played a small role in all of Adam Sandler's movies. Of course, Judd Apatow roomed with Adam Sandler when they moved out to L.A. Steve Brill is good friends with Judd Apatow and Adam Sandler, which is why we see so much collaboration there in this world. But I just love that. You know, obviously, Adam Sandler puts all of his friends in all of his movies. But this camera guy, Kenny, has been in every single one. Yeah, it's a, you know, it's a classy move from Adam Sandler, right? That's that's our kind of thing. It's the entourage-esque, like, when you come up, you bring your boys with you. 100%. You know, the ones that were there before, and I would do the same thing. Yeah, and I think it's exactly what when, we would when do. I, when I become a famous actor, I'm going to have my boy Jordan in all my movies. <laughs> of course, of course. Uh, let's get into some uh, Apex Mountain, and this is actually pretty exciting because we usually don't have big-name actors that were and doing we this segment. huge-name actors in this one. So. so let's start with, uh, you know, Ben Stiller here, who plays Tony Perkis. This is a tough one. I'm just going to rattle off some things on his IMDb. Feel free to add some more. But, you know, I think his earliest work that kind of garnered a lot of attention was in Reality Bites, which was more of a romantic comedy, dramedy type of movie. Of course, he had a small part in Happy Gilmore, one of our favorites. Uh, There's something about Mary, which is kind of where he was really put on the map. Uh, Meet the Parents in those sequels. Obviously, an amazing performance opposite Robert De Niro. Uh, Zoolander, The Royal Tenenbaums, Dodgeball, Tropic Thunder, most recently, Hubie Halloween, he had a nice small part as Tony Wonder in Arrested Development. He's kind of been in everything. How many of these podcasts are you going to drop Hubie Halloween? Oh, I'll, brought, I'll bring it up every single time. Obviously, Steve Brill directed it. Uh, uh, which one of these I'll is ra- your favorite? I'll, I'll rattle my top three for you. Heavyweights, Tropic Thunder, and uh, what did I just – I just blacked out. Dodgeball? Give me the uh, – Dodgeball. Easily. Then my top three. If I had to pick one, um, Dodgeball for sure. Really? Nah, maybe Tropic Thunder. I don't know. Heavyweights. Okay, I'll pick all three. Yeah, this is such a tough one. Like, obviously, you want to pick ones where, like, he was obviously the center of the movie. Meet the Parents and Something About Mary, I think for most people, would probably be one or two. Um, There's Something About Mary is just a perfect movie. I'm not a big Zoolander guy. I know a lot of people love that movie. I think it's too dumb of humor. Yeah, so I like Zoolander, but I'm on the same page with you. There are movies where the humor for me is just so dumb that like i can't i can never put that up against like a heavyweights or a dodgeball you know his performance in tropic thunder is just incredible the whole simple jack routine that he does <laughs> is, it's just so fucking funny like that honestly like tropic thunder and dodgeball i think you're right i think those two maybe up there with you know there's something about mary or my or my top but it's how do you pick an apex for ben stiller you can't i mean when you have someone who, whose film history is just so deep and extensive of like quality films like 
How do you pick the top? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Let's move on to uh, Keenan Thompson, who plays Roy Murphy. And of course, you know, we kind of all knew him as a kid, right? He was in the Mighty Ducks movies. He was in D2 and D3. He was in Good Burger. He was in Fat Albert, where he played Fat Albert. He was in, obviously, all the shows on Nickelodeon, all of that. Then he got his own show, Keenan and Kel. You know, he's been a cast member on SNL since 2003. He's the longest tenured cast member in SNL history. And he just got his own sitcom on NBC called Keenan. So this is a really tough one. I, you know, I think it's obviously SNL, right? He's been on that for forever. Um, in terms of films that he's been in, it's, it's not it's not Good Burger. For I, you? I would go Good Burger actually for his for his films. What about you? I love Good Burger. It's such a I good mean, movie. We're gonna have to cover it on this podcast eventually. Yeah, I, I think we have to. Um, yeah, I mean, I'm just gonna agree with you. Yeah. Uh, next one is Aaron Schwartz, who's gonna be coming on the podcast. Plays Jerry Gardner. And, you know, this guy kind of had a, you know, he was a big child actor. He was in the Mighty Ducks movie as Carp. Obviously, he's in Heavyweights. Uh, but he really never had. He had a nice arc on, on Gossip Girl for like 15 episodes. But this is a pretty interesting one. He played an extra interviewee number one in the Suits pilot. He was one of the guys really? out there with Mike Ross in the hallway before they come in to interview with Harvey. I don't know if anyone watches Suits, one of my favorite shows, before it just got rammed into the ground by the number of episodes and seasons. But he was in the pilot, which is kind of cool, uh, kind of fun fact there. But honestly, I think it's got to be heavyweights. Yeah. You know? I mean, it is for me. And he's kind of been an actor for, throughout his career in small things. I don't know what kind of happened or what kind of derailed, you know, the momentum that he had from as a kid. Maybe he took a break. I'm sure we'll get into it with him on the podcast. But I kind of thought he would kind of have a big acting career. I mean, he plays a role in this movie so well. And yeah. It's a leading role um it's believable i don't know maybe i mean you'll have to talk to him see yeah. uh what happened what, what his thoughts were after acting as a child maybe you know some people don't want to continue on with it yeah uh let's move on to tim blake nelson who plays roger he's the salesman the camp salesman he is a really big time actor he's been in a ton of the cohen brothers movies most famously oh brother where art thou he was i don't know if you caught him he was dr pendensky and holes he was like the famous scientist, obviously, that created all this stuff. Uh, he was in The Incredible Hulk, Lincoln, most recently The Ballad of Buster Scruggs on Netflix. He played Looking Glass in Watchmen, the HBO series. He was great on that. He's just a great character actor. You know, I think this is this is tough. I think Oh Brother, Where Art Thou? Because that was kind of his biggest kind of groundbreaking performance. But I think all these are, you know, he's just a great actor. Yeah, just, I mean, seems like just another career actor, you know? He's yeah. just kind of, he's, he's everywhere. This is quite the list of actors that we have on this uh, Apex Mountain here. I have to say, we're usually talking about some bums from some DCOMs. This is this is something and else. That, and that's and that's what you know. What was it? Double team? We talked about like two people. <laughs> no one else to talk about. I know this one. We got like a what a list of ten. Eight, oh my 10 god, people? it's crazy. Uh, Jeffrey Tambor, who we of course have talked about. He was you know he was in the Larry Sanders show uh, with Gary Shandling, an amazing show on HBO. Kind of was the impetus for shows like Entourage and all these types of shows like that, where you're actually kind of mimicking a real life talk show a late night host uh, he played hank uh he was in 82 episodes of course of one of my favorite comedies of all time arrested development as george bluth and, and of course oscar bluth he was in transparent uh he played the mayor in how the grinch stole christmas he's kind of been a bigger known tv actor than film i'm gonna right, go arrested right. development that's my favorite one of my favorite comedies of all time but you know i think it's probably between larry sanders show and, and arrested development there yeah i don't know i mean for us it, i think it would very obviously be arrested development but didn't he win 
like an Emmy for Transparent? So he did. And Transparent is an amazing show on Amazon, obviously about a transgender parent. But unfortunately, he got fired off the show before the final season because apparently he was harassing, allegedly harassing some of the female writers on the show. And it was a whole ordeal. He got thrown off the show um, and they did one more season without him. So I or I guess a special. They did like a musical special without him. So I would say transparent because of how groundbreaking that role was and how many awards he won for that role. But he didn't end on the grade of grade of terms. So yeah, sure. I didn't, I didn't know that part of it. Very interesting. But uh, yeah, I mean, for us, it's Arrested Development, right? Yeah. One of the best, one of the best comedies out there. hundred percent. The last one, or I guess I want to bring up two more. So one is Paul Feig, who of course plays Tim, one of the camp counselors. Now, Paul Feig is really not an actor. He is one of the biggest directors of comedies in Hollywood. He co-created Freaks and Geeks and Undeclared with Judd Apatow. He directed Bridesmaids, one of the funniest movies of all time. Um, he's kind of been one of the biggest comedic directors. He, you know, he directed heat, he directed all these types of movies. Um, I think it's, I think it's bridesmaids, right? It's one of the biggest comedies, one of the biggest R rated comedies of all time portraying female, you know, comedians like that. I got to give it to, to that in terms of acting. He also acted on Sabrina, this teenage witch. He was one of the teachers on the show, but honestly, he's he's better at, he's better in heavyweights than Sabrina, the teenage (laughs) witch, right? Nah, yeah, I, I agree with that one as well. Hold on, Big Al. Give me a moment to tell my listeners about eBay, our newest sponsor at the Believe Podcast Network. Whether rare dead stock or the latest release, find the exact shoe you're looking for. As the original sneaker marketplace, eBay is the place to go to cop the pair you've been eyeing. I myself, I swear I did not plan this. I am currently bidding on a sweet pair of Nike Air Max Undefeated Editions. I hope you don't outbid me. I'm not going to tell you my shoe size because of that. With eBay's authenticity guarantee, your sneakers are meticulously inspected by independent professional authenticators. A team of experienced authenticators verify the box, the logo, the stitching, and dozens of other inspection points. And for sneaker sellers out there, eBay has eliminated selling fees on sneakers $100 or more, making it free to sell or flip your collection. Go to ebay.com slash sneakers today. eBay, the world's best destination for discovering great value and unique selection. And now, back to the show. And the last one I want to talk about, we talked about, I want to talk about Steve Brill because we mentioned him on the last podcast for the Mighty Ducks, but obviously, you know, he directed and wrote the movie. Um, but the last one I want to bring up is, is Judd Apatow. And if you're not familiar with Judd Apatow, you should, uh, because he is the biggest comedy producer in Hollywood working today. Um, he has discovered some of the biggest comedic actors from Seth Rogen, James Franco, Amy Schumer, Jonah Hill, Pete Davidson, Billy Eichner. The list goes on and on. Uh, Heavyweights kind of started it all for him. He did this, and then he did Freaks and Geeks and Undeclared, two shows that only lasted one season, but also have cold followings like Heavyweights. Uh, He produced Anchorman in 2004. He wrote and directed The 40-Year-Old Virgin in 2005. Talladega Nights he produced in 06. He produced Superbad in 2007. He wrote and directed Knocked Up in 2007 as well. Bridesmaids he produced, Step Brothers he produced, Forgetting Sarah Marshall, Pineapple Express, Funny People, Trainwreck, most recently, the King of Staten Island. This guy is just a legend. He, he's a legend. I was, I was going to say, if you didn't say he was a legend, I was going to say he's he a legend. A legend. Um, yeah, I mean, not even really fair to pick. The one thing I will say is that my movie, Talladega Nights, doesn't usually get the credit it deserves. And I really do like that movie. What do you, What is your favorite out of all these films I just listed? Superbad? Yeah, 
it's, it might be super bad. I don't know. It's really hard, dude. I know. I know. It's much harder to pick than than the Ben Stiller movies you gave me. He's directed and written and produced so many fucking classics. It's insane. And that's why you you, fit, you, know, you have him and you have Stephen Brill writing together on this movie. And it's like, no wonder the screenplay yeah. is just flawless. You know? Agree. Agree. But 100%. the reason why they hooked up with Ben Stiller was Judd Apatow was one of the creators and writers on the Ben Stiller show, which was an old show. You know, and that's kind of where they hooked up with Steve Brill as well. So it kind of all started from that. But of course, like Judd Apatow is just an incredible producer in Hollywood. And, you know, he's kind of, he's, he taps the next person that's going to be big, you know, is he's got a new movie coming out with Billy Eichner, who people would know from Parks and Rec. And I think he's going to do for Billy Eichner what he did for all these other people, you know, that have come become huge successes. Uh, Let's move on uh, to who won the movie. And this is a tough one, but uh, in your opinion, who won heavyweights? Pat, right? Pat? I don't know. I mean, if you're looking like movies start to finish, right? Like, is the story really about Jerry or is the story about Pat? It's a conspiracy theory. I don't know. But like, you know, Pat really has the full, full turnaround of his life. Yeah. In the beginning, he's the fat counselor. He's been working there for 18 years. Probably never had a girlfriend. You know, you have the scene where he's taking the trunk up to the cabin with Jerry and he's like, so did you break up with your girlfriend before the summer <laughs> to play the field? And he's like, oh, yeah, yeah, I did. You know, you got to play the field. And Pat's like, oh, yeah, me too. I always break up with my girlfriend before the summer. Uh, you can and, tell both you know, are just he, lying through their teeth. Yeah, yeah. And he can't, he, can't talk, he can't even talk to Julie. He can't even get words out of his mouth in the beginning. But in the end, he, he takes over the camp that he's loved so much, you know, basically becomes like the guy running the show at the camp. He's able to convince the kids to turn their lives around and make positive choices and, and impacts. He finally defeats his rival camp counselor leader dude from Camp MVP when they win the relay. Bags the girl in the end, throws the trophy in the water. I mean, for me, Pat fucking won. Yeah. I'm gonna that's that's what I'm saying. But who stole the movie for me as far as best performance? Uh, I mean, Ben Siller. And, and my boy Josh, I, I love every, every scene with Josh. It's just so fucking good. It when is. he comes in and he's like, Josh was bad. <laughs> yeah. People think he had like a like, lobotomy, which I didn't know was a kid either. Yeah, exactly. And Keenan's like, oh no. And he's like, <laughs> but Josh now, good. Must be great to see my big ass again. <laughs> Plays the role so well. I my love gosh. Josh. I'm going to go Ben and Stiller. Lars. And Lars. Ben Stiller, for me, won the movie. He is just so fucking good. How he's able to just stick to that character and really just go over the top the whole movie. It's just, it really makes it so funny. Um, could this movie be remade? Would you want to see either, you know, a remake of it or we kind of recast everyone? Would you want to see some sort of sequel or prequel? What do you think? Or just leave it alone? Uh, leave it alone. I don't think you touch the classics. And for me... Well, The Mighty Ducks is getting remade, so this is why I asked. For me, this is a classic. Well, you know, people... Right now, nostalgia is a really big thing. Um, in the video game world, in, in the movie and, and TV show world, and people want to go back, take the success of something that was made 20, 30 years ago, and prey on people's... I mean, I don't know if prey is the, way, the right word, right? But uh, exploit the the feeling of nostalgia that people have when they're like, Oh my God, I love the mighty ducks. One of my favorite movies as a kid making a TV show. I got to watch it. And I, th- I think, like I've said previously, original ideas are very hard to come by. Uh, and it's just easier to adapt something that's been previously written that, you know, was successful. Right. 
But for heavyweights, I don't see what the story would be in either a prequel or sequel. And I hate remakes, right? Like, especially when I, when I think the original is already perfect. Yeah. Like, don't touch it. Don't touch this one. I think you brought up a great point, which is just going back to Judd Apatow, all those movies are original movies. Right. They're not based off a book. They're not based off some prior IP intellectual property. They are original movies. And we don't see those in Hollywood anymore, unfortunately, so much. But I want to, I guess, pose an idea for, I guess it would be a sequel or maybe a TV show. And I want to bring this up to Aaron Schwartz as well. But, you know, obviously Aaron's got an incredible shape now. Maybe he's now working at Camp MVP. Maybe he's, you know, he's the jock now. Turn him into the villain. And now turn him into the villain a little bit. But maybe sort of halfway through the movie, he realizes where he truly belongs and goes back to Camp Hope. What do you think? I don't know. Only if they bring Pat back. They got to bring Pat back. Now he's the owner of the camp and he's like the Bushbaums. Because Pat and and Jerry had such like a father-son type relationship and and a friendship as well. Like, I would like to see that dynamic play against each other, right? Of, Of his boy now grown up, become fit, turned villain. And he's on the other side, you know. You could keep your washboard abs <laughs> and your oily muscles. I don't want them. <laughs> uh, but I, I, you're on to something there. It could be interesting. We'd have to get Ben Stiller back, though, right? I think he's moved on from this. You think? I don't know why I feel this way, but I just feel like if, if you were to interview Ben Stiller and ask him about this movie, it wouldn't be something he'd want to talk about that much. You don't or, think so? Or consider to be one of his movies that he, I don't know respects or, or thinks was a good performance for him. So I met Ben Stiller really randomly on the streets of New York once while he was filming, I think it was Walter Mitty, some shitty movie that he was doing. I don't know what movie it was, but I ran into him and he couldn't have been more nice, more down to earth, took a picture, stopped to talk to us. And I honestly think like this is one movie that he does not forget his roots or where he came from. And you think I, I, I honestly think that he, uh, he takes pride in this movie like he does a lot of his early work, you know, like Adam Sandler, right? Who's kind of started off with the best performances of their career. I think this was one of Ben Stiller's best performances. I would, I would be curious enough. I would love to hear any interviews or anything he's ever done speaking yeah. about heavyweights yeah. because it's, it's so, it's so different, right? Like how many times as a big name actor, like he became, are you going to do a movie almost entirely with children? Yeah. You don't see it. Actors, you don't see it. Right. And then if you want to rank that up against like, some of the classics that people know him for like a tropic thunder or something like where would he weight the two movies compared to each other? It's a good question. And I have no doubt he's an incredibly nice guy down to earth, all that, but I don't know. I would be curious to know what he thinks. You know, this may hold a special place in his heart because he acted with his parents in this movie. You know, that's and, well, he, he's he has acted one. with his, his dad before, right. but I'm sure it holds a special it place. It certainly in his heart. holds a special place in my heart. Oh, I definitely. love him for this movie. Um, yeah, I don't know. It's a good question. Alex, I have to ask this question, even though I know the answer. Did this movie live up to how you remembered it as a kid? This will always be one of my favorite movies of all time. It, it has stood the test of time through 28 years of my life. Um, and I could, I could sit down and watch this movie any day of the week and enjoy it and laugh the same way I always do at all the same parts. And I can quote this movie verbatim probably all the way through the script because I've just seen it so many times. And I don't know that I can say that about a lot of other movies. Yeah. You know, it's weird because I don't know if I want to have kids or not, but I'd want to have kids to be able to show them this movie. Like it would take such pride to sit down, whatever five-year-old, six-year-old, whoever in front of the TV 
and show them heavyweights with fresh eyes for the first time as a young kid watching it because I think it holds up perfectly. And I think any yeah. young kid, obviously adults still love it, but I, I think it would give me such satisfaction to do that. Obviously, this movie is has held up the test of time. And really, there's nothing in this movie that would need to be changed. Like there's nothing, no, there's no lines. You could maybe say some of the fat stuff, some of the fat camp stuff. Okay. But honestly, like this movie really holds up 20 years later. It does. And when we talk in the beginning about like the Rotten Tomatoes and the IMDb scores, I I can almost guarantee without knowing no fa factual basis to the statement that those ratings are brought down by people who are purely like one star reviewing them on like their sensitivity to this being about fat kids. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and if it wasn't for that, I promise you these ratings would be much higher because the movie's just so good. Yeah, there's so many movies that just get destroyed over things like that unfairly. Um, yeah. But Alex, I think we did a we did the unthinkable. We came in under an hour and a half here. Okay, so I'd like to take this opportunity <laughs> to do this 10-minute monologue here that I've been drafting up for the podcast. I love this new so, mic. I think it's the new mic that's kind of kept you grounded in under an hour and 45 minutes. It may have, and I would like to shout out the producers from the Believe Network for, for doing this for me and sending the mic over. Um, you know, I'm so proud and honored to be a recurring guest for several episodes. I hope no one ever surpasses me as a guest on this show. It's going to be as tough. As far as quantity of episodes done, but uh, always a pleasure being here and doing this with you and just reliving our favorite movies from when we were kids. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube. You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.